It's good to be able to close out the day with you. Well, if you would turn to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 25, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 25, I'm going to ask the Lord to bless our time. Our Father, we come back to you tonight still hungry, still thirsty, still longing to be fed. We thank you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet, but as we feel it now, it is food for us to eat, through which we're nourished. And as we come to you at the end of this day, uh, looking at the week to come, we recognize our need of it even more. And we pray that you would feed us now by your Spirit, on your word, in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew 25, uh, starting in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made five other talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I could have at least received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." Well, this morning we heard a message from Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, and it was the light breaking into the darkness, and it was a confrontational message. 
Tonight we're turning to a passage that comes at the end of Jesus' ministry. To hear a message not to someone in the dark, but a message to his disciples. He's preparing them for what is going to happen when he's gone. I want you to see, I want you to see the goodness of God in this. I want you to see the kindness of Christ concerned about his disciples. He knows their weakness. He knows their doubts. He knows the fears that they're going to face. He knows the impact that's going to come on them from his death. And of course his resurrection. But then his ascension. That he's going to leave them. He's going to leave them on earth. He knew the impact. He knew that it would be good for them to know what to expect, even before they knew to expect it. And I, I think of the times that I was left alone. I was the youngest. Uh, when I was left alone and uh, my mom or dad were the last ones to see me and, okay, have you got this? Are you prepared for this? And, of course, the response is, yeah, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. I'm fine. And then they pull out the driveway, and when you live you know, 20 minutes from an ambulance and your neighbors aren't within sight. You know, the first few times it's a little scary. They knew what to expect better than I did. They knew what I would need to hear even when I was, oh, no, no, I'll be fine, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. We don't know what's coming until it comes. But Jesus knew. And he wanted to prepare them because... Because fear is a powerful thing. We're afraid of what we don't understand, of what we don't know to expect. It can drive us to do things that, honestly, we never thought we were capable of. And God knows this. And, and through Jesus, before they even know what to be afraid of, he's getting them ready. And there are a lot of worries wrapped up in the implied question to this. What is the kingdom of heaven going to be like? There's a lot of worries wrapped up in the question that Jesus is answering that they haven't even known to ask yet. <laughs> what is this kingdom that you're establishing going to be like, Jesus? And part of the answer comes through this parable. It's a second of two parables specifically addressing what the kingdom of heaven would look like. And I, I just want to pause for a moment to explain this kingdom of heaven, from what we understand, was inaugurated, was established with Christ's coming the first time. And even though it's not in its fullest form, it is still in existence, and he is reigning. This kingdom of heaven is not something future, it's something that's current. It is that kingdom of heaven that's come to earth, that's being lived out by all of us who follow him. It's that kingdom of God that John referred to in the message this morning. It's a spiritual kingdom established by Christ that manifests itself in real, living, breathing people like us. So what is this kingdom going to be like? Jesus explains to his disciples. And we're going to consider this parable under two headings. 
First, the challenge, the challenge of the parable, and then the riddle that unlocks its meaning. So first, the challenge of the parable. There, there's something of a challenge in the fact that it's even a parable. You know, we, we, we wonder sometimes why Jesus didn't speak more plainly, and then we get to that part of the gospel when he does speak plainly and says, I'm going to go die. <laughs> and we see the disciples' response, and we say, well, maybe that explains a little bit of why he spoke in parables. The parable was there to give life to what he's saying that they could then come back to and reference later, and they would have deeper meaning. There's something about parables, about these stories that grips you in a way that simple rote teaching doesn't. Perhaps they wouldn't have understood if he told them directly. Perhaps he wants to communicate more than simply stating the facts. He wants to evoke from them an experience through this. The disciples oftentimes seem to be confused because their idea of kingdom is so different than Jesus's. And so perhaps the parable is simply to set them on edge and make them think. It could be any number of these things. But what we do know is the parable brings drama to the point of what Jesus is saying. So I want to go through it with that idea. We see first in verses 14 through 19, the stage is set. Jesus is wanting to draw you in through this parable. This master entrusts his goods, his estate, his wealth to these servants. It's not a little bit of wealth. It's a lot of wealth, collectively. And he is entrusting them with this wealth. This is a lot of trust. For any of you who have managed other people, it takes a lot to trust other people with your company's um, wealth. Um, if you're a middle manager. What is the next level you go to when you're entrusting someone with your wealth? (laughs) There's a whole other level. I'm entrusting you with my treasure. Treat it carefully. But notice he's not completely completely out of touch with who he's entrusting this with. He entrusts them how? According to their ability. According to their ability. He doesn't force on a one-talent man five talents. He knows who's a good steward of who can handle, I should say. He, he thinks of all of them as good stewards, but he knows who can handle what amount. He's a good manager. The servants respond very differently to that task, and I want you to start feeling the tension in the text. Uh, the one who receives five talents goes out and makes five more. Likewise, the one who received two gains two more. But... He who received one went and dug in the ground and hid the Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of these servants came and settled accounts with them. So, back to the picture of me being at home and my parents gone. Um, You may or may not have had this experience, but normally when I was left, there were still some things that needed to be done before they got back. Um... Most of those things got done in about five seconds when they were coming down the driveway, and I began slinging things. We had a long driveway. Um, I began slinging things. I would hear the dog bark, and, oh, what was I supposed to do? Uh, On more than one occasion, I was trying to figure out what I was supposed to do when I realized, oh, I didn't have anything to do. It's okay. It's all right. Okay. Not a problem. Uh, 
Sadly, on more than one occasion, it was actually somebody else. It was a neighbor. And then I had to debate, well, do I go ahead and do it, or do I? Always, always the rationalizer. Um, we've all felt this tension if, if we've had uh, expectations on us. We've all felt the tension, the deadline at work, the parental responsibility, the landlord responsibility. Were you going to take care? You were going to take care of this. How many disputes occur over, you were supposed to get this done by this time. So what we're supposed to feel as we're going through this is, okay, to put it in modern terms, you had one job. You had one job. I gave you a talent. And I said, do something with that, okay? I didn't say do it with five talents. I didn't overload you. I said one talent. I know what you can do. But the master hasn't gotten there yet. He's just pulled in the driveway. And you feel the tension. What's going to happen? We felt this at work. Is he going to get fired? What's going to happen? So the disciples are sitting here. Okay, kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is like a master who goes away. And then he comes back. And you need to have your stuff together. The tension mounts. If you notice in verses 20 through 23... The five-talent guy, well, he just produced five more talents. Good job. Very good. And, and the two-talent guy, he produced two more talents. Very good. Enter into um, the joy of your Lord. I, lo- I love you. you. I love you, guy. I, you know, we've all been at those celebrations, too. And a trophy for this guy, because he really delivered on that deal. And we love this guy. And there's, and there's the guy in the back, who you know didn't deliver. He didn't deliver. What's the master going to do? Is he going to let him off the hook? What's going to happen? We've been in those meetings. We've been with our siblings, and it didn't get done. He comes to the unprofitable servant in verse 24. And the servant has got this figured out. And I I, I know uh, he's been thinking about this ever since he heard the dog barking. He's got his reason. He's got his reason. And I want you to notice very carefully how he makes this his master's fault. He makes this his master's fault. You know, you're a hard guy to get along with. You're, you're a, you are a crackerjack businessman who reaps where you don't even so, like, who can do stuff like that? You expect too much of me. Now, it takes a really talented manipulator to be able to turn their issues around onto the other person who's actually in the right. I know this because I'm really good at that. So I am a really talented manipulator, uh, full disclosure, something I'm repenting of on a daily basis. But this is master manipulation, this, is, this isn't my fault. This is your fault. And by the way, I was looking out for you when I buried that. I was looking out for you. I was afraid. I, I went and hid it in the ground so that it would be safe. That's what I was doing. I, 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 it's, here it is. Here it is for you. So if we don't actually understand what the unprofitable servant is doing... We can, we can begin to question 
the master's response. If we see the unprofitable servant as simply weak and, and afraid, then we can question the harshness of the master's response. But the master sees right through this servant. He sees right through him. He says, this isn't my fault. This isn't my fault. You are a wicked and lazy servant. You're only concerned about yourself and your own protection and your own needs and your own fears. What happened to actually considering the calling that I gave you? The master comes and exposes the servant's self-centeredness by pointing out you always had another option. You could have at least gone and given it to the bankers. And then I would have at least gotten some interest off of it. No, you took the safest route for you. You were not concerned about me. You were only concerned about yourself. The master is able to read right through the manipulation and confront him where he is in his selfishness. This parable challenges us to avoid being unprofitable servants. That's, that's true. That's true. The force of this is supposed to hit you in the face at this point. Because he doesn't only say you're fired. He says, cast him into outer darkness, which ought to be loaded with meaning from our message this morning. To outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Get him out of my sight. But all he did was not produce an increase. There must be something more to this. This is not just an Aesop's Fables uh, account. Don't be like the unprofitable servant. That's your moral. Now go out there and make lots of treasure for Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's not the point of this. But we are supposed to feel the sting of what is the kingdom of heaven actually like? It's got two different kinds of servants in it. And some produce something, and some produce nothing. Well, how do we tell which is which? Well, we have to consider the riddle that unlocks the parable. And that comes in the master's rebuke of this unprofitable servant in verse 29. For to everyone who has... More will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. From him who does not have... So, so it makes sense in the beginning. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. Okay, so, so if you've already got something, you'll get more. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Well, if he's a not have, then what does he have that gets taken away? It's a riddle. It's a riddle. He's telling us the kingdom of heaven has haves and have-nots. They're the haves and the have-nots, but they, they aren't measured the way we typically measure haves and have-nots in the way men look at them. The kingdom of heaven is going to consist of haves and have-nots, not according to the systems of measurement we use, because you see, even the ones who have, have different amounts. If you noticed, the haves are the ones who produce an increase, right? And, and one of them was a five-talent guy, and one of them was a two-talent guy, right? So we're not talking about the amount of talents they have, 
Because haves have five and two. And the have-not guy, servant, is a one-talent guy. It's, it's not about how many talents they have as far as what they have, but there's something they have, the ones who produce. And there's something that the have-nots don't produce with. And, and notice, it's not abilities that they have. Jesus isn't saying some people in the kingdom of heaven have more abilities and some people don't have any abilities and I'm going to distribute treasure, and the ones who don't have abilities won't produce, um, and they'll be condemned. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying there's all sorts of different abilities in the kingdom of heaven, but some people have and some people have not. Um, so what, what is the treasure if it's not an ability? Well, what, what is this that he's left with all the haves and the have-nots? Everybody gets some of the master's treasure. Haves, have-nots, they all get some of it. What is the treasure then? What is the talent that he's distributed? Well, think about what Jesus left with his disciples. When he left, what's he left? What's he left? He left them with, later in this gospel, the Great Commission, his authority. He's left them with his authority and said, go out and make other disciples, baptizing them, discipling them. He's left with them, if you read in the end of Luke's Gospel and then in the beginning of Acts, he's given them the Holy Spirit to work in the kingdom of heaven. He's given them the promises of God in his covenant. Called them to enter into his family. These are all things that other servants had had before. And Paul explains in Romans 9 to 11 what they did with that treasure. And it was taken away. And given to who? Given to us, the Gentiles. So he has given us the promises of God, the Holy Spirit, the Great Commission. All authority has been given to you. And some, some of those who've been given that respond by getting to work, by putting it to use, by going out and making disciples, by going out and spreading the good news, by declaring the promises of God to all who will hear, by ministering, by binding up the brokenhearted. And there are have-nots who are afraid to take that and try to multiply it. They're afraid to use the treasure that God has given him. And instead of selling all to buy that field with the treasure in the middle of it, they go take the treasure and put it in a field and bury it. (laughs) It is not something that they want to distribute. It's something they want to keep hidden, keep it safe. The have-nots see the risk of investment And if you've been in gospel ministry for longer than 30 minutes, you know the risk of investment. Gospel ministry costs you everything. It costs you your mental health as you begin to take on the worries and fears of your brothers and sisters. It it costs you your security as you spend money to try to help those around you. It costs you everything. And for what? Better to keep it safe. Better to keep it safe. Burying it makes sense. 
The haves see the risks as well, but they see that their master has called them to invest all. The haves produce an increase from their master's wealth by getting to work, by focusing on what he's called them to do. The haves see this commission as an opportunity, not not as a burden. You know, the have-not refers to his master as one who reaps where he doesn't sow, as if that's a bad thing. And if you think about it, in the disciples' position, as they look at the Roman Empire, and it's the twelve of them, one of whom, spoiler alert, was a have-not, they look at the Roman Empire. Can you imagine the intimidation factor? It's not that hard. You can look around <laughs> at our culture. Can you imagine the intimidation factor? But you know what they know? Their master reaps where he hasn't sown. Their master reaps where he hasn't sown. He says, go out to these people who have never heard about the temple, who have never heard about sin, who've never heard about the law of Moses, who've never heard about any of this, go out and tell them about me and you will see life spring up where no seed has been planted. It's amazing. They saw it as an opportunity. Haves see white fields ready to harvest where have-nots see nothing. And it's almost as if the haves and the have-nots are standing beside you and saying, are we looking at the same field? But the point that I hope you're asking at this point is what do the haves have? What do the haves have? The parable doesn't actually tell us what the haves have. It's not talents. It's not abilities. They all get those. What do the haves have? Well, it's not that hard to figure out, but I want to hold up for you the picture that the disciples had immediately following Jesus' instruction. Don't you think it's interesting that, that he's presenting to them this information right before he's going to be the best example of a have that they will ever have? Jesus, who for the joy set before him, do you hear that? For the joy of his master's voice, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. For the joy set before him, endured the cross. Talk about an investment. He invested everything to the point of death. Endured the cross. And I love this, despising the shame. Everyone said, you lost. Everyone said, what a foolish investment. He put all his money in that stock. It just tanked. They mocked him. And he despised the shame. Because he knew it was not a foolish investment. This is the same Jesus who said as he faced the terror of the wrath of God, risking it all, not my will, but your will be done. 
He knew what his commission was. He was focused on the work that he needed to do. He wasn't worried about the risks. He wasn't worried about the danger. Except he was worried. He was in that garden sweating drops of blood. He understood what it was going to cost. But he had a job to do. He had work to get done for his master, for his father, who invested all the glory of heaven into a human body so that he could pour himself out as a sacrifice for sinners. What we see in the example of Christ that comes immediately after this is what the haves have is the Spirit of Christ. They're ready to walk in His bloody footprints and give all. They say, what is this life but treasure to be multiplied with spiritual dividends? And they gladly sacrifice their time and their energy, their money for kingdom treasure. And Jesus said, sell all that you have and give to the poor so you may have money bags, heavenly money bags. They don't hesitate. They give wisely to one another in need. In the kingdom of heaven, Jesus tells us there are going to be those who smell like me, who look like me, And you'll recognize them if you smell like me, if you look like me. There are going to be those. He wants to encourage them. There are going to be more people like me to guide you, to lead you, to walk with you. He's encouraging them, of course, to be like that. But notice that this parable is really just telling them what what is. It's, it's It's not going into a lot of detail of what ought It's just saying, what is? So he's encouraging them. I want to encourage you. The kingdom of heaven is full of these people who smell like Christ. And of course, that should be our desire as well, to seek him, to seek his spirit, to beg God to give us that same spirit to change our hearts. But be encouraged. He's always going to have these people in his kingdom all the way through to the end. When we can become so discouraged when we, be, we wonder, where is Jesus? Look around you. Find the people who smell like Him. Who look like Him. Be that person yourself by seeking Him and begging Him to make you like Him. And this, as well, is something of an encouragement, I hope, although in a backhanded sort of way. Imagine if Jesus had only said that everyone in the kingdom of heaven is going to look like me. And then we would be wondering, well, what about all these other people? They're not producing any fruit. Not real fruit. I mean, sure, they've got lots of money and they give money and they, and they, or, or, or sure, they work really hard, but, but they're focused. They're afraid. They're focused on this narrow. It's clear that they've taken the treasure of God and buried it what are we supposed to do with that? Jesus says, it's, it's going to be like that. There's going to be a mix. It's going to take discernment. And we're going to need to be discerning about who is and who is not full of the Spirit 
of Christ. And it's going to be like that until he comes again. And he'll sort it out. You know, some of us are anxious to get it sorted right now. (laughs) Some of us need to, hey, that's a have-not. Get him out of here. He'll sort it out. Now, of course, he has servants who do some sorting in this time. I'm not speaking against the authority of elders and pastors and whatever else. But for all of us who are just ordinary folk, and for for those who are worried about what's going on in other churches, other places, how is this going to happen? Lord, your kingdom's a mess, Lord. He says, I told you. Don't worry. I'll sort it out. It'll get taken care of. And what that ought to drive us to in ourselves, again, is to ask, do I have that Spirit of Christ? Do I have that Spirit of Christ? And in humble dependence on Him, go to work. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to You weak and fearful. We're afraid because it's a risky world full of danger. We pray that you would give us the Spirit of your Son, that you would give us your Holy Spirit, that you would fill us with more and more and more of Christ and His heart and His attitude, that we might despise the shame, that we might see the joy set before us so that we gladly take up our crosses and follow after you. We pray that you would give us hearts bursting to do your work, that we might see a harvest where no seed has fallen. 